0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on today's episode of Afternoons. We were getting to the bottom of vaping. Dr. Rachel Kaminsky speaking to us, consultant pulmonologist, about lung health in general, but also what we need to know about cigarettes, vaping, shisha and more, plus, crucially, how to quit. We were understanding heartbreak with a psychologist. What do we feel in our body and why? And some strategies for getting over somebody on hand as we talk play therapy and the things every home should have to foster that love of play. We had Gigi card and I tell you what, it's made me, made me want to go and do some Lego. Plus, we were taking you to Ras Al Khaimah, getting out and about, plenty to do in the UAE and we are telling you all about it. Recently, the European Respiratory Society has changed its stance on vaping. We're hearing lots out of the UK on this and we're on hand to help you out as we talk lung health between now and three o'clock with Dr. Rachel Kaminsky, consultant pulmonologist at the Saudi German hospital. The text lines are open. The phone line is open. You can get us on 4001 and of course it's 5500 on the phone and the WhatsApp too. You don't need to put your name on those messages if you would rather not. Just want to make sure you know where you can go to get some expert advice. Dr. Rachel, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I have to say, um, went out for a little walk on the beach this morning. I uh, was feeling lovely and clean and fresh after the rains. So I'm glad we're talking about this because we did touch on lung cancer recently and had an awful lot of messages about vaping. And unfortunately, we ran out of time. So in light of these recent changes, which are going to come on, I'm I'm really grateful for your time. But you're quite new to the UAE, coming up on a year. So I wanted to ask you, I guess, what you're noticing, what you're noticing about us, Doctor, in terms of any UA-specific issues that are coming into clinic or any, even any patterns that you've noticed? Uh, so obviously there's lots of people
2: from all over the world, but the common thing that seems to unite a lot of my patients is that they are suffering with respiratory problems. So a lot of them coming in with chronic cough, uh, with uh, shortness of breath, with wheezing and sort of episodic symptoms that happening, you know, maybe every uh, winter um, and not
1: really knowing what to do about it really. So how do you help in terms of the screening, the treatment, um, is there anything here that you were able to do and access that you couldn't perhaps back in the UK or I guess, you know, what are people responding to? So. I feel very privileged to be here
2: because, you know, patients can access pulmonologists straight away. They come in, uh, we're able to take detailed history, examine them and get tests there and then straight away. So in my hospital, I can get an x-ray, I can get breathing tests, I can get CT scan in a matter of uh, minutes and then come up with a diagnosis and treatment plan so you can see results
1: instantaneous. And in terms of, I know you've seen an awful lot of people, we actually had one of your patients last time you joined us in studio, um, any stories or any situations that are standing out where you think, oh gosh, you know, it really made a difference there?
2: Um... The prevalence here of asthma is really, really common. So people that cough, get wheezy, get breathless at night, um, and then have these symptoms frequently, actually a lot of them have got under-diagnosed asthma. Um, and it's sort of coming here in the genetics and the environment, mixing together, meaning that they then show these signs and symptoms. And now we've got millions of treatments for asthma, You know, amazing inhalers, and then for the severe asthmatics, these biologics, um, which have revolutionised their health and managed to start many patients on them and it's giving
1: them their lives back so it's it's amazing but for anyone that didn't hear us chatting last time would you mind explaining that biologics and just i guess pretend that you know <laughs> oh, well I'm not a doctor and neither are many people listening today so would you mind breaking it down?
2: Yeah of course so asthma is your body your lungs overreacting to the environment um, and it's an abnormal reaction to something that you're inhaling most people can be treated very easily with um, inhalers that they take that will reduce the inflammation in the airways and a medicine that uh, relaxes the smooth muscle to open them up but some people despite um, taking their medications their inhalers correctly and uh, um, being adhered parents are taking them every day still suffer symptoms so still awaking at night still reliant on reliever medications and the biology that they have, normally is what we call T2 high. So they have allergic inflammatory asthma. Um, and what happens is the body has got too many of different cells um, that then overreact and basically send out a massive distress signal saying, hey, what's coming in my lungs is really, really bad. Let's close everything up to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. So what we can do with these biologics, which are targeted medicine, um, that patients can administer to themselves at home. Um, and these range from injections uh, in some medications too weekly, to other medications that only need to be given every eight weeks um, via like a pen that patients would have for diabetes and what it does is it basically stops their overreaction of their biology so reduces the cells that are overactive so that these patients don't experience those symptoms. Are they safe on the long term? Completely safe because... What we normally give for asthma exacerbations, even in children, are steroids, which wipe out the whole immune system. And these work much lower down in the inflammatory response. So are much safer and much more targeted. And we've had biologics in asthma for 25 years and then some of these anti-eosinophilic medications. And now recently we've got one for non-allergic, non-eosinophilic inflammation. Um, So our older patients that didn't have any treatments before um, and they're very, very safe. All the studies that have been done have been worldwide and, and uh, patients are really having new
1: new quality of life. We can help you with asthma today as well, as you can hear. Our consultant pulmonologist, uh, Dr. Rachel Kominsky, with us from Saudi German Hospital. So if you've got any questions for her, get in touch. Um, can I ask you, and we are going to move on to cigarettes and, and vaping in light of this new stance very soon, but... Are there any common misconceptions, doctor, that you hear, whether it's in clinic or, dare I say it, on social media where everyone's an expert, um, that you, now you've got the power of the microphone, um, you'd like to address?
2: Um, So I think with regards to sort of smoking and vaping, um, people tend to think that vaping is completely safe, shisha smoking is completely safe. Um, and that cigarette smoking is bad, and that they're not in the same category. Um, I think also people think that whenever they have an infection, that they, if it's not getting better uh, very quickly, that they need antibiotics. Um, Another common thing that we get is that patients that get uh, asthma symptoms say, well, I only have symptoms periodically, therefore I only
1: take my inhaler when I've got those symptoms. Well, if we can help you out this afternoon, we've got Dr. Rachel Whistler through until three o'clock. So whether it is understanding term, uh, condition, diagnosis or of course um, help you out with anything you're struggling with. Joining us in our studio at the ARN Business Club is Dr. Rachel Kaminsky, consultant pulmonologist at the Saudi German Hospital. And Dr. Rachel, the European European Respiratory Society has recently changed its stance on vaping. We're seeing Rishi talking an awful lot about vaping as well right now. Would you mind... Before we get onto what that stance is, with that rise of vaping, what are some of the potential risks and consequences for lung health that you're concerned about as an expert in this field?
2: So I think, first of all, there's a big misconception that vaping is completely safe. So lots of people have taken up vaping think thinking that there's no problem, that they're just inhaling water and that there's no risk. And as evidence is emerging, actually, this is not the case. So we know that vaping ultimately is heating up nicotine uh, containing liquids and particles, particles that you would never want to inhale into your lung like um, metals. Um, And then ultimately by heating them up, they become aerosolized. So if you think about putting deodorant directly into your lungs, that's what vaping is with different flavors. So when you think about it like that, it really isn't safe. Um, and some of the things that we've seen, unfortunately, um, in this include patients developing uh, irritation of the airways, developing hypersensitivity. And in some rare cases, there have been some deaths associated with vaping.
1: I mean, the number of deaths out of cigarettes per per year is in the millions and millions. We haven't seen that in vaping. Yet, um, and I think it's, it, it, at the minute it's still relatively new. And we've had a number of people asking about specific brands, um, about you know what to do. So if you've got any questions on vaping, guys, get in get in touch. Um, for me, the big concern is as a parent, and that it seems to be some very smart marketing aimed at not converting young smokers from cigarettes to vaping, but attracting teens for the first time smoking into vapes, which you know are still fairly unregulated when we look at some of the things that are being being sold and so far untested in terms of you know, the, the long-term timeline. So, you know, the flavours and the colours and the da-da-da-da-da. Um, so, I wanted to ask you, then, you know what is coming out of Europe now? What is this, um, this adjustment in, in guidelines and stance that we need to know about? So originally,
2: I think as a group of healthcare professionals, we knew the all the adverse effects of cigarette smoking. So we know that actually burning smoke into your lungs increases not only your risk of having uh, different lung problems and heart problems, but also different cancers. So then when vaping came around, we knew that there was um, less likelihood of of cancers but actually to the ill health of our younger population so as you said it's become very attractive these vapes are very cool
1: um easily got hold of disposable i I hate to say it but they smell nice like cigarettes have always smelled absolutely rank you know cars clothes homes But when you've got you know a watermelon mint or a da 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 it's it's kind of nice smelling and i hate myself for saying that
2: no and it is and that's why you know in the brain you're not thinking oh this is a bad thing this is damaging me you know there's a fruity smell and actually the other thing that we don't know is the effect of passive vaping Um, if you think about the plumes of smoke that are generated around somebody that's vaping we don't know the effect on even those um, youngsters or other adults that are choosing not to vape
1: Dr Rachel with us today we are going to go to the text line next we've had a message can can you ask the doctor about and I'm going to say this wrong ICOS IQOS
2: so there are different types of vapes different types of cigarettes and they've all been marketed um, in different ways to kind of say look this is helpful this has got less nicotine in it And we do know that patients um, and people that are smokers, uh, if they are trying to get off cigarettes, actually vaping uh, was an effective way to get off cigarette smoking. But unfortunately, lots of people that then convert to vaping continue to have this addiction because it's still a nicotine-containing product. So um, the benefits for smoking cessation were there, but actually... We have other medications now that patients
1: can take um, that can help them stop smoking that don't contain nicotine. We're going to talk about those next. We've had a message from Valerie asking about her friend saying it's the action of vaping that she's addicted to. So, what can you do there? We've had a question about exactly that. Um, one uh, one woman's husband's been vaping in their spare room. The baby's about to go in. What can they do to make it safe? If you've got any questions, we can talk shisha as well. And I want to know how how important is our lung health when it comes to even predicting how long we live and what can we do to safeguard it? It is always a busy one on the text line when we have an expert doctor in the studio and it is Dr Rachel Kaminsky speaking to us from Saudi German Hospital. We are talking lung health, vaping, smoking, quitting, of course, and you can reach out if you need any insights or advice. Should we go to the text line, Doctor? Let's do it. Okay, Um, we have had a message here saying, quit smoking for six years, started vaping last year, and struggling to quit again. Any tips? What are some of the things in your arsenal as a consultant pulmonologist that you think maybe more people need to know about, or you've seen some really good success when it comes to quitting?
2: So it's one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. Um, And for each day that you don't smoke, or that you've reduced the number of cigarettes you're smoking, or that you're not vaping, you're doing really, really well. Don't give up on giving up, would be my first bit of advice. The second thing I would say, a couple of people have actually come in to see me when they're symptomatic, coughing, having a pneumonia or an infection, which you're more likely to get if you're a cigarette smoker. And what they've done is they've actually taken a picture on their phone of their lungs. So that every time they go to pick up the vape or the cigarette, it's there. And this helped one lady give up smoking. She smoked for 45 years. Um, So that was a big thing that helped her. Uh, Another thing uh, that people do is that they put the money that they say directly into like a pot. So they physically get the money out and then they can see what they can do with that money and, and reward themselves in a
1: positive way. What about meds?
2: <laughs> there are lots of meds, actually, that we can give you that will help you stop smoking. So there's medicines that every time you smoke, so the nicotine itself um, will induce a nausea feeling, so you'll feel sick, so you won't want to smoke. There are also devices that we can give you, because sometimes it's just habit, it's actually putting something in your mouth or having something to do. So. Yeah,
1: that's exactly what Valerie was mentioning saying about her friend, saying she's um, she, wants to, she took up vaping to stop smoking, and now it's the action of vaping that she's addicted to I guess it's the idea of kind of the hand feeling a bit redundant
2: so there are um, you can get both nicotine and non-nicotine containing inhalators Uh, you can get gums Um, you can replace it with uh, different things to do so like fidgets that some children have that have um, ADHD uh, or or just a way of distracting yourself um, with uh, something that's positive is is a good way of, of
1: stopping smoking now I mean, you're saying there about a, a patient smoking for 40 years. That was my grandpa. My grandpa died of a heart attack, and he was smoked since he was 14. What are the facts of starting smoking young, Doctor? What can it do to our lungs, and what do we need to know about, I guess, about lung health from an early age and, and our longevity?
2: So your lungs, um, from uh, obviously the time that you're created and that you grow uh, in your uh, mother's stomach to when you're born, keep developing up until the age of about 25. So if you start smoking at an earlier age, you're never going to reach your full lung health potential. So that's the total amount of lung capacity that you have. So if you never reach that, unfortunately, all of us from the age of about 25 start losing lung. And that varies um, depending on whether you uh, are a smoker, genetically more likely to lose lung quicker, male, female, and where your ethnicity is from.
1: Can I ask then how much of a correlation is there between lung health and even lung capacity if we're going to be really specific about it, and even how long we'll live? Can we draw a line?
2: So it's directly related um, and we know that you need a certain amount of lung capacity in order to keep you well, to keep your oxygen levels uh, adequate, to be able to uh, be active, perform things that you'd be able to do and unfortunately all um uh, everyone loses lung at different rates so some of the things that you can do to improve that obviously if you're getting an infection have prompt treatment for that if you're a smoker try and stop smoking if you've got a family history of any lung pathology genetically you're less likely to have good lungs and so things that happen to your lungs are more likely to be impactful so and keeping yourself fit and active your lungs are a muscle Uh, the more you use them the better if you've got a a lung problem please don't just sit at home and do nothing the more you use them the stronger the muscle becomes
1: can i ask and we're and i'm glad about it because i find the topic of breathing and breath really really interesting but we are talking about it more and more and just how interesting nose versus mouth breathing is in terms of you know our nose as being filters you know we speak with our mouths we breathe with our noses are you seeing hopefully a bit more awareness around breath you know a friend of mine said you know, we'll be talking about breathing the way we talk about hydration in 10 years' time. More awareness going around? Definitely. But the other thing
2: I'll say is when you think about breathing, do you find it difficult to breathe? Because <laughs> yeah. when you think about breathing, you sort of forget how to breathe. And actually, uh, a big thing that came out of COVID is that um, it changed the way people felt about breathing and then lots of people breathing pattern disorder dysfunctional breathing um, and they were things that really affected people so you know getting into good breathing patterns um, ways of actually making sure you're using all your lung muscle and, and getting uh, the important oxygen to all your organs is really important
1: we're talking lung health now dr rachel to be with us today she is a consultant pulmonologist at the south German hospital we were just kind of I mean laughing but kind of like shock off air about just how much attitudes have changed towards smoking I remember my first job and the editors literally just like packing away at their desks and like piles of ash and even on planes and in cinemas did you get a bit of a shock I mean even globally things are things are very different right people vape in public here a lot more than you think
2: it's a lot more socially acceptable here to smoke and vape than uh, in Europe so when I came and started asking my patients about smoking and vaping I frequently get yes 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 oh actually I do all three I even do shisha
1: well okay let's talk shisha because we were talking earlier about actually how the smell of vapes is quite pleasant compared to cigarettes and I would there's something quite lovely to my mind about the smell of shisha kind of drifting along on the outside breeze what damage is it doing to lungs though?
2: So shisha, um, unfortunately, smoking one shisha pipe is like smoking 120 cigarettes. So if you sat there and had a whole shisha over two hours, that's 120 cigarettes. So if you're having a shisha every day, it's like you're smoking six packs of cigarettes.
1: Whoa, Chloe and I's jaws are on the floor. 120? Crikey, that's wild. Okay, I didn't realise it was that bad. Okay, to the text line. Let's go. Um, We've had a message here um, talking about, I guess, long COVID, really, for for want of a better phrase. Um, Dave says, 62-year-old male, can your doctor help with asthma? I had COVID in early 2020, and it's got so much worse since. On an inhaler every day, and I'm frequently breathless. Have you seen much coming in in terms of COVID exacerbating or even starting asthma symptoms? So asthma, if
2: you think what it is, it's your body overreacting to the environment. So any virus, any bacterial infection you get can change then how your body sees other things that come into its airways. So COVID, we had no exposure to any infections because we all kept ourselves away from each other. Then some people got very bad COVID. Then some people, everyone mixed from everywhere again and everyone got horrible viruses and infections. Mm -hmm. So the body then had not had anything exposed to it and then had lots of exposure. So actually the prevalence of asthma asthma and allergy and irritation within the airways went massively up following covid
1: what guidelines do you tend to give someone that comes in who has been struggling specifically after having covid with breathlessness Dave saying there is asthma getting worse are there any treatments that you've seen be particularly effective
2: so I think uh, with if Dave uh, were to come in to see me what I would do is I'd obviously take a thorough history examine him and then try and work out where that breathlessness is coming from is it a lung pathology is it a heart pathology um you know what is the signal is there inflammation is there airway narrowing um is there breathing pattern disorder has he got some scarring in his lungs has he got active infection um so things we do would be imaging uh, bloods uh, breathing tests and and hopefully, I mean, most people, we can make a big difference to their symptoms.
1: Dave, if you want to send me the word doc or indeed anybody listening today, send me the word doc or doctor, I will send you Dr. Rachel's details because you're saying there are lots of investigations and options for treatment, whether it is asthma, as we were talking earlier, or indeed kick in in the smoking Um, one last question which is kind of combining two one was asking about um, her husband vaping in their soon to be son's room and Felice asking about passive vaping smoke, what does the evidence what does the science say, or we do not have that information yet Rachel?
2: So uh, we don't know the effects of passive smoking because obviously you're not you're not inhaling something that's been heated up but they're probably you probably are inhaling small particles which contain metals which won't be good for you. If you've been um, vaping in a room and you're worried um, that that then is going to be a bedroom for a small child, what I would recommend is really airing the room out um, for a period of a couple of days uh, hopefully then all those small ionised um, particles should have dispersed um, and it should be a safe room for the baby.
1: Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. As I said you can be found at Saudi German Hospital. Dr Rachel Kaminsky, um, consultant pulmonologist. Thank you so, so much. You've definitely inspired me to never start smoking. (laughs) Intense feelings of pain, confusion, longing. Uh, We can be searching for answers, replaying memories, let's be honest, probably stalking our exes on social media, analysing every single detail of that breakup. Something maybe some months on end. The good news is, though, once we understand the psychological mechanisms at play and get some proactive with our strategies, we can mitigate the doom spirals that so often happen post breakup. Joining us to guide us through this topic, Jocelyn Gracias from Thrive Wellbeing Center. She's a CDA licensed psychologist. She supports individuals and couples with their goals. She has a master's in clinical psychology, but we can also talk about CBT. She's been involved in the Gottman Couples Therapy Method. For anyone that's new to the show, I'm obsessed with the Gottman, so we're gonna be talking about that. Um, And even things to do with trauma and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So if you've got any questions for Jocelyn Gracias, get in touch now. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow, Jocelyn. You're wearing red. Um, And I mean, I think the topic is is a a pile of tosh is a topic for another day, but it can be really triggering for people who have been through heartbreak or are going through a really tough time in their relationship. But I'm glad that we're looking at the science behind heartbreak today. So why do we experience it?
0: What are some of the psychological factors at play? So the one thing that the word heartbreak has something common with psychology in general is the word grief right they they kind of both go together and a lot of times we don't know that that grief plays a big role with heartbreak so when when we are looking at the science i think it's very important to understand that when we get into a relationship there's a lot of vulnerability there right there's a lot of openness and you're letting somebody in, which is not something we do, you know, at work or mm-hmm. or or when you're just meeting with a friend. So it's a very deep-rooted relationship. So and and also there are a lot of expectations, you know. And I think that this word is very important when it comes to heartbreak. We make heartbreak about us when most of the times it's about the expectations.
1: That's interesting. So it's it's not necessarily about what we're f- feeling in that moment specific to the breakup it could be the loss of the promise of something you know this could be someone that you'd hoped you were going to be with if not forever then for, certainly from a long time let's be honest you might have done that weird uh, website thing where you merge your faces to see what your babies are gonna <laughs> look like maybe practiced your signature all that kind of stuff i'm saying this as a woman um and then um you know it's, it's, it's it is a grief it is a grief because that's sometimes taken away from you if someone breaks up with you and if you know then it doesn't necessarily make it easier if you're the one that ends a relationship that can come with other problems in terms of you know guilt as well um what are some of the common symptoms i guess signs of heartbreak that people experience jocelyn
0: right i think let's start with the physical ones first um i think the word heartbreak should actually be heartache right because what you are trying to picture when you picture heartbreak is crash something crashing into your heart or something breaking your heart into a million pieces but actually the process is of a heart ache right from a very science point of view so it's very important to understand that when you are going from through any ache you have a lot of physical symptoms and those physical symptoms would look like you know a lot of restlessness, you know, and so I want to briefly talk about uh, a theory called as the polyvagal theory, right? And it's basically our response to anything that we go through on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of times we have a fight mechanism and we have a flight mechanism and then we have a freeze mechanism. Um, Research has a lot of tied down to attachment styles being predominant when it comes to how do we react how does our nervous system react to heartbreak in general so what happens is you might find yourself in freeze where you 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 are functioning but bare minimum you know you're doing you know you you re-watching shows you you know you and I know media plays a role here as well, because, you, you know, when you hear of heartbreak, you see somebody sitting with a tub of ice, <laughs> ice cream, cream and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's that's the freeze mechanism loosely translated. So
1: you've, you've lost your mojo. You haven't got that kind of get up and go feeling a bit empty, low energy. Yeah. yeah. So surviving. Right. So you're,
0: you're exactly like you were. You, you, you know, you. Yes, you get to work because, you know, you have to get to work. But there is no zeal to kind of get moving. Sometimes there is no zeal to even get out of bed.
1: So that's right? the freeze.
0: That's the freeze. Okay, what else um, we got? Then there is fight where you kind of, you go into problem solving and you, you might say, okay, you know what, if this re- relationship didn't work out, who else is there for me? And you might get into a, a, a relationship very quickly which, in other words, is also known as rebound. Um, and what you're trying to do is you don't want to lose control because heartbreak is, I am so out of control feeling. And that means your physical body is suffering when you're, oh, I'm out of control feeling. So your goal in the fight mode is to be in control of everything. So overworking yourself, overscheduling. So all of that becomes a part of your fight. And then flight is when you are avoiding. So if you look at all of this in the in, in the stages of grief and you kind of tie both these, the polyvagal theory and the stages of grief together, what you have is you have denial, which is avoidance, which is your flight, where you, you you can't believe this has happened, you know, your nervous system is not with you yet. It is is not in touch with reality at the moment, and there's a lot of denial and there's a lot of hope. What if questions and thinking that maybe this is not it thinking that this is temporary so you go through that first and then while you're in denial you're also looking for a lot of answers so you know you were mentioning stalking and you know trying to go back and checking the messages analyzing everything analyzing everything so because that hope is coming in denial you are trying to make sense of how this is not it Right, So then from there, you move to great sorrow and the depression that takes over. And there you go. That's your freeze. Right, You kind of go there. Jocelyn
1: with us today. If you've got any
0: questions for Jocelyn Gracias from Fry's Wellbeing
1: Center, CDA licensed psychologist. We're talking heartbreak now. Have you ever had your heart well and truly stomped on? How did you get back on your feet? And if you are at this point struggling, suffering, um, you are more than welcome to reach out. Jocelyn Gracias is a CDA licensed psychologist who supports individuals and couples with their therapeutic goals. And we're talking heartbreak today. Some really interesting messages on this. Asking for help, but also those of you sharing your own experiences of having your heart broken and how you ultimately have come back from that. So if you do want to get in touch, the text lines are open. And because I know we're talking about quite a sensitive topic today, if you would rather leave your name off, that is absolutely A-OK. We were just talking about the, the stages of heartbreak there, just in the new denial. Um, anger, bargaining, do we see that? You we were just talking about how heartbreak is really a parallel to grief. Do we get the anger and the bargaining?
0: Oh, yes. I, I really think that there is anger is a very strong part of the process because when expectations you know, can't go the way you want them to go and you, your future doesn't look like the way you imagined it would that creates a lot of anger and when I say anger a lot of triggers as well so a lot of times our sense of self uh, kind of goes under the microscope when we are dealing with heartbreak and, and one very important thing for me as a psychologist when I'm working with my clients is that awareness that I can help my clients with to understand that heartbreak is a normal process yes it's a it's a very horrible. it's a horrible <laughs> process you know it sucks to get your heart broken but i think we need to normalize that it is a it's it's a normal part it's, of life it is the human experience isn't it it is a human experience
1: what's the alternative is never being vulnerable never letting your walls down never experiencing you know love and passion and you know putting yourself out there because the rewards for that are so, so, are so great. We've had some really insightful and interesting questions coming in on this. Um, um, Amma saying, what if there's broken trust? How can you learn to trust someone again? I think that is, we're gonna be talking about recovering from heartbreak, I think that is a really important part.
0: That is a very important part. And I think every heartbreak has trust that is broken, mm. right? So the, the trust is not out of the picture. With heartbreak, your trust is broken. So this is what I was talking about where our sense of self kind of goes under the microscope. So if you look at it from a very realistic point of view, trust is a process that we have, we're not born with it. We learn to trust. And you don't, right? You don't necessarily trust someone
1: immediately. You might like them and you might hope to trust them, but their consistency of
0: behavior builds, builds trust. Yeah, definitely. So that's exactly the point here that... If you are using trust as a way to understand yourself and if I can trust again, if that I comes in the picture, then trusting is going to be a very difficult process. It's going to not be a normal process anymore because now you put yourself under the microscope and now you're making something about you that is making it difficult to trust and that's not okay.
1: talking heartbreak now and the average adult goes through three major relationship breakups and spends across their life around a year and a half getting over them, research has revealed. Jocelyn Greciath is a CDA licensed psychologist in Thrive Wellbeing Centre. She helps individuals and couples with their goals and we're, we're going to go to the text. I've had a, we've had a lot of messages for you, Jocelyn, on this Um some some comments, some questions um, a message here saying trust this day is the issue when it relates to heartbreak um, social media has changed all the rules everyone's a stalker, everyone's recorded anyone who fancies your partner has endless access to them couples have to work harder than ever to remain happy I think, I mean I, I completely agree that it's, it's not when you meet someone and you get married that's not necessarily the end to the work, that's sometimes just where the work starts but it's an interesting point there about trust and access what do you think about that
0: a lot of pros and cons right there right so social media plays a huge pro in terms of finding people meeting people you know so your radius and getting to know people is more but then also you know when your heart is broken you have more access to stalking and you know um, you know, who's that person
1: in that picture? What's she doing liking that yes. picture? You know, why is he liking that photo of that woman? Yeah, it's, it is it right. is a bit of a minefield. And the message here is saying heartbreak happens. It's hard to recover if you don't have anything going on in your personal life and you're dependent on others. To shield yourself, figure out and understand yourself first. Develop skills that can ground you. Take care of yourself independently before you step into any potential heartbreak zones. When your heart is broken, you think yeah. so that's a really good point about and actually a a few people are saying something similar on this Jocelyn just you know talking about how um, how I don't know How how can I phrase this this probably puts it really nicely actually is that saying my story isn't perhaps a story about finding love but more about finding myself after heartbreak doing things I always wanted to do but put off because of him starting new hobbies meeting friends I focused on doing things to keep me busy originally but I soon realized I was doing things that made me happy putting myself first it was through this I met my now husband his opinion of me during those first meetings that I seemed so happy in myself that he just wanted to get to know me I love that from the net yeah
0: I, I just love that and I love the awareness that exists today to differentiate where heartbreak in the past was more about you and not being able to trust again to now making it as a As as an occasion or or a way to find yourself, understand yourself better, work on yourself, personal growth, to know exactly the right person that you would want Mm -hmm. to have. We've got a few people with questions and concerns though. Jocelyn.
1: Um, Dee says, um, hi, both. My 18-year-old son has been with his girlfriend for eight months, and they were friends before that. Um, Same old story. She's gone away to uni, and after a few months there, has finished with him. They both say they love each other and don't want anyone else, but his heart is broken. Any tips? Any advice there for support? I mean, this is a, a parent supporting a child in this situation, but maybe we can speak more broadly about helping a friend or a loved one through heartbreak
0: as well. Right. So let me start with a parent. Uh, Kudos to this parent who is so involved in this process, because I think that really, really will help, you know, her son get that awareness about what what are the stages like he should prepare himself for. This is his first heartbreak, so you know he doesn't have any experience not that I'm saying experience is is the only thing you need to get through heartbreak but you know it 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 makes a difference Mm. knowing what it feels like so and knowing that you can survive it yes knowing that you can survive that exactly I think that's that's the thing that is different between your first heartbreak and then the ones that come after is the first one really feels like this is it end of the world right. yeah, end of the world yeah mm-hmm. so it's nice that you know and I think if if this parent can be more vulnerable can talk about her own experiences and how she got through and how this is a very normal part of life but while emphasizing on the word normal it shouldn't be made to look like well get over it yeah you're only 18 it was never gonna last forever type chat because yeah it's you don't want to belittle what he's going through exactly exactly so acknowledging what he's going through giving him the space to feel but also helping him to see that all emotions are healthy you know and normal Here's a question, is there a timeline on getting over
1: somebody? Is there a magic formula? And you're like, okay, it's been six months now, I should be feeling A-okay,
0: but I can't stop you know, crying. Is there a timeline? No, there is no timeline. I get this question in my practice almost every day, like how long do I have to do therapy? How, how long will this process go? And you know, there's this very interesting quote that not a lot of people know, which is, time doesn't heal. Right? Time can, I thought time did heal. Time can give us the space to heal. But if we just sit with that time doing nothing, I'm sorry you're not healing. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're forgetting because new memories are taking over. And that's how we work. You know, Our memory works that way. But just because you've forgotten something doesn't mean you have gotten over it or you have healed from it. And you're ready to kind of move into a new relationship. And I think... And, and whenever I get the same reaction when I say time doesn't heal and everybody will be like, what? That's not true. That's- We've been sold a <laughs> <alive>. lie. <laughs> Jocelyn Grass is with us today.
1: But we're understanding heartbreak now. Joining us in Thrive Wellbeing Center, Jocelyn Gracie, CDA licensed psychologist, and she works with all different methods and techniques, whether it's getting over trauma or indeed helping couples or individuals reach their goals. Can we go to the text line? I think we've really tapped into something here, Jocelyn. We've got a lot of people asking for your information and, uh, and your advice. Hill saying, book recommendation, please. My husband and I have separated. I thought our relationship might improve, but he's actually got zero interest in this. I'm seeing a therapist, but always find a book helpful. I'm suffering with what you're talking about, the feelings of rejection, grief, dealing with my children's emotion and just the loss. We were together for 11 years. Thank you. Um, book recommendation, I think, is a really good question because it's something you can do on your own timeline, something you can dip in and out of? Have you got anything that might be useful to Hill or anyone else in that situation?
0: Right. Um, you know, I'm just thinking, and I think compassion is, self-compassion is something that can help you get through this process and something that you need the most to get through this process. So there's this amazing book or a series of books by a psychologist, uh, Dr. Kristen Neff, uh, the name is self-compassion and there's another one which is fierce self-compassion. So the fierce one is especially for women and it's, it's especially you know for heartbreak and codependency and how um, you know sometimes we hold a lot of weight being women and you know, the expectations that we have uh, from ourselves, and sometimes struggling with shame as well. So I think these two book recommendations, but in general, I would say radical acceptance because it takes a lot of time to reach radical acceptance. And Dr. Tara Brock has written an amazing book on uh, this topic. Okay, thank
1: you for that, help. Great question and some great recommendations. Um, we've had a number of questions on this. I'm gonna kind of bring together into one, um, which was why, aren't I over this yet? I thought I'd be stronger now. One saying, um, I hate the feeling of loss, grief, sickness. I thought I'd be stronger now, but I'm not. Don't know what to do with myself. I'm sick of bursting into tears. What can help? Can we talk strategies? Yes. Whether it is, I don't know, friendship, a bit of wallowing, a a bit of, I don't know, do you need to cut or wash that man or
0: woman right out of your hair? I don't know. What do you recommend, Jocelyn? Um, I think first, before even we go to processing, we need to, kind of get in touch with ourselves and be mindful and aware of what is happening to us while dealing with heartbreak and this is very important because while you go through all this process i'm going to bring us back to something that i was speaking sometime back which is a lot of times we wait for time to heal us and that's not true so yes you have to do a lot of active work but i wouldn't say as soon as you get into a heartbreak I'm not saying just keep replaying the whole relationship and just wallow in it only. Yes, that will be the first part of it. But then when you're ready to move into the second part, which is the processing, and then the third stage is healing. And in processing, this is very interesting, because in processing you don't use distraction. You use a lot of mindfulness, a lot of grounding, and a lot of ways to better the connection with yourself and that's very important but yes what do we do in stage one then in stage one you're going to do a lot of self-care you're going to use your social community that you have to help you get through this remember you don't have to be alone in this journey i know there are a lot of people around you that care for you this is the time this is the stage where you need them so whether it's temporary distraction where you're hanging out with them, because you know you have to understand that our nervous system is handling too much, and when it's all raw and you know and and it came to you by surprise and it's too much, you don't just go straight into processing because then you're harming yourself by thinking that you know what, get over this. I just need to keep focusing only on this, and then it'll all be done. But then what that does is it can take a toll on yourself, mm-hmm. the concept of self, your sense of self, and that is not something you want.
1: Where does a professional come into play? And I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about almost like situational depression, you know, whether it is a, a grief of a loss of someone, and that can be a bereavement, but a loss can be, you know, saying goodbye to someone or you know, having, having your heart broken. And I say this as a friend who has supported numerous friends through breakups, and it sounds awful, and I'm sorry if you're listening, it can get a bit boring as a friend It's saying the same thing. Also, my number one tip as a friend is don't say that you always hated them because I can guarantee they will get back together. Um, but the role of a professional can be really useful because you presumably can go in and have quite a transactional experience of going, I'm going to pay you X amount of money, you are completely impartial, you've got no dog in this fight, you've, you, you know, you... You and you've got a huge amount of knowledge and education around it. What can someone expect in a session, um, such with someone such as yourself, if we are talking about heartbreak? Right.
0: So, the the stages are going to be the same, even when you get into therapy. And I think therapy plays a very important role because you're right. You know, especially in Dubai, you know, with work and everything that's going on, it's very difficult sometimes to give someone that one weekend that you might have. Mm-hmm. And helping them get over it. So therapy is, is, is a huge play here because it's helping you sort your thoughts out, your belief system out, but it's also helping you build a better connection with yourself. And at the initial stages, you need a lot of external validation, because when you're hurting, internal validation sometimes falls short. it's not enough. Yeah. So, you know, that can help you in therapy as well. And then when you're ready, we also work on strategies that you work on your own internal validation that makes, you know, you not requiring therapy anymore. Thank you so much.
1: And also, we should say that you've got some great tools and techniques in your arsenal, whether it's overcoming trauma, CBT, talk therapy, and more. Farmer with you. We are broadcasting live from the ARN Business Club. Absolutely fantastic to have you with us today and loads of you getting in touch to share the woman in your life that you would like to treat to dinner. It is Valentine's Day so whether you are male or female whether it is a friend, a sister, a loved one get in touch and let me know that on 4001. We want to send you to NOLO for a three-course vegan feast with non-alcoholic pairings. talking the power of play this afternoon and I've had some really interesting messages on this because I feel like sometimes we just kind of forget how to do it Um, but joining us to kind of hold our hand through this topic we have got Gigi Alucard joining us she is a mum of two crucially I think it's really important to mention that up top and has gone from a full-time job in project management to quitting studying and starting her own business helping children through kids' coaching and everything from boosting self-confidence and focus skills to emotional resilience and regulation as well. Shiji, thank you so much. How are you? Hi,
3: thank you for having me. I'm really good. How are you? I'm
1: really well, thank you. Now, we actually met on Sunday for the yeah. first time because my girls came to a workshop you were having in Al-Sakal. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that workshop and why it was something you really wanted to help out the kids of Dubai with?
3: Yes, of course. So the workshop's called Fleet... Feel for Palestine, and um, what I've always done is done group workshops for kids with different coaching topics. Uh, but with everything going on in Palestine, really wanted to incorporate more Palestine-related topic, but also um, giving them some sort of coaching and life skills. So what we did is we did. Um, talk and teach the kids about their emotions, how to express their emotions, where their emotion comes from, how do they feel them in their body and related to um, what's going on in Palestine and how they feel about it and, how, and what they can do to, to help out and um, stand up for Palestine.
1: The girls really loved it. They really loved it. They've been talking to me about, obviously, what they were learning through some of the storybooks and the activities you're doing, but also this idea of emotional regulation. So, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter was like, you know, you have a thought, and then you have a feeling and then you have a behavior. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, wow. And this is, this is something that a lot That's of people in their 40s could do with understanding. So 100%. it was really wonderful. That's amazing. I'm, I mentioned there, I guess, kind of kids life coaching. Mm-hmm. What's, what what's exactly is that? And what are some of the issues that you're helping families and children with, Sushi?
3: So kids life coaching is mostly basically teaching kids life skills giving them life skills, giving them tools to navigate life, to navigate challenges that they go through with confidence and resilience. Um, Because I think as adults, we are kind of facing issues now as adults. And I wish I had, you know, someone when I was a child that can kind of, you know, hold my hand and teach me these these skills and give me these tools. So um, through play, through different tools, activities, uh, storytelling, art, meditation. We teach kids um, tools that can be related to emotional regulation, to um, the power of their thoughts, and, and, and kind of to to have more of a positive outlook um, about life. We also do uh, focus on anxiety issues as well as um, giving them problem-solving skills
1: um, and skills related to Focus and attention um, tools as well. It's really interesting that it comes from, I guess, a third person and not not from a parent, not from a teacher, but someone who is, I guess, a, a safe space and maybe like a kind of big sister, auntie mm-hmm. type role. Exactly. So it's not. It's we're not talking about counselling yeah. or being a psychologist, but I guess. But there is a therapeutic aspect Mm -hmm. to it as well through Mm play. 100%.
3: Um,
1: If you've got any questions for Gigi, you're more than welcome to get in touch. Up next, we are going to talk about the power of play. I've had a number of messages, as I said, from parents who just feel a little bit uncomfortable doing it. So we're going to be helping out with some practical strategies and why play is just so powerful. Gigi Alakar, the mum of two, certified kids life coach who's always been passionate about working and connecting with children. She now does it in group workshops and also one on ones as well. And I guess, you know, when you're working with children, you also must be having conversations with parents about supporting some of the work you're doing. And you're really passionate about the power of play, which mm. I am too. Yes. Um, but I wanted to ask you if, if you could maybe speak to us, if not the science or the data about it, but mm. why does important the role of play Mm -hmm. to connect parents to children
3: of course so play is really the language of childhood that's how they talk they express they connect they communicate they trust you as an individual as an adult or as child through play which is why we always tell parents to just just play just don't don't overthink play like play is just really and play can be very different but it's not really on our on our own terms as parents. But it's it's on our on our children's terms. Mm. We just, regardless what play is, we just sit with them, and it's mostly it. It should be more of a free play, unsupervised, without controlling how it is, oh, with, without you know like so don't. It's, it's okay so to much color outside of the job. line. I I understand and I get it, but. And that's how they, they'll learn. That's how they'll work on their cre- creativity. That's how imagination gets even more and more with kids and when, when, they're, when they're left left to do with free and unsupervised play more often than, you know, us as parents. And I know it's easier said than done because I'm one of them. Like, you just don't want a lot of mess and things everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want things to look pretty. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm like you have these ideas about baking or doing art with your kids yeah. and you're like, okay, but that's not <laughs> how it's supposed to be done. I know. Um interest, some really interesting messages coming in on this. Yeah. Now speaking personally, I love Lego. I'm a bit mm-hmm. of a Lego freak. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my happy place. I like painting with the girls, but yeah. some things I find really boring. Like they've got these L O L dolls and I hate how they look. I hate yeah. All the plastic, but they keep on getting their birthdays. I'm like I don't want to play with you. Yeah. I think they're gross. So I've kind of got things that I'm happy to do. Right. And same with my husband. Um, but I think we we kind of forget as parents how mm-hmm. to play, to be mm-hmm. honest. And Julie's saying in, a, in this fast-paced and pressurized world, play is even more important than ever for our children, but for mm-hmm. parents too. Mm-hmm. Pass the logo, Julie. Um, no name on this message, Gigi, saying my husband is quite a serious person mm-hmm. and our sons, four and six, desperately need and want to play with him. He asks them all the time, he'll try to stall them, but they ask again and again, leading to him snapping at them, which is awful to see. Does Azizhi have any advice to get them to play together without nagging and pushing him further into himself? Is this something you've heard
3: before? It's tough because, like I said, as an adult, as adults, it it can be tough for us to know how to play, which is why I, I always say, like, we we are overthinking play we 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 just should really follow the children's lead we're not leading play and we're not controlling play we're just going with with their flow and i think maybe the dad in this example is just kind of stressed as like okay how am i gonna play and what am i gonna do and and what i'm gonna say Am i gonna say something right or wrong but i think just following his child's lead and and you know letting go of of being in control Mm -hmm. Can really be the first step in and trying to get into the, their children's world and see how they they think and how they see
1: things see things i also think that some people just resonate with kids at different ages and stages so my it's, husband mm-hmm. said when they when the kids were really little he's like i'm just not into like mm-hmm. the toddler years when they get a bit older mm-hmm. and we can you know make things together or yeah. have conversations, conversations together he's like that's when i yeah. hit my sweet spot and i'm like yeah. okay you i'm holding you to yeah.
3: that <laughs> <laughs> definitely each each phase has its its thing for sure. it does
1: and there's also this idea of play that you have to be on your hands and knees on the Mm -hmm. floor and you've got to be like letting the kids put makeup on you or you've got to be making a mess play can take all different forms and actually a message from Rashid saying does playing video games count I think so
3: I I think so too as long as you don't rely 100% always on like screen time to connect with your child but definitely like if you find a common ground with your child and that is video games and whatever that is amount of you know time per day or per week then great as long as it's not solely
1: yeah. that. Because I think that is often how kids it's mm-hmm. how kids socialise with each other now. It's, you know, yeah. it's a big topic of conversation yeah. for a lot of kids. So by not, you're kind of closing off a big yeah. part of their lives and yeah. their passion. But I think you're absolutely right. It can't, it can't, it can't be the sole way yeah. that you connect. Um, it's half term for a lot of kids right mm-hmm. now, Gigi. Are there any, um, I guess, toys or equipment or mm-hmm. essentials that you always have in your home or you, mm-hmm. you love every family to have to in kind of foster a love of play? What's, what's worth having at home?
3: One of my fav- favorite things is focusing an open-ending plays. So that can be, like I said, Lego. I love these like the magnet, magnetile things. Like you can create houses, you can create um, car garages and have, you know, cars or dolls, Ramps you know, going through it. Exactly. So it can like really be open-ended. Uh, pretend plays huge for kids. And I think that's probably my favorite playing with my girls because it just, it also, they tell you stories. And you, you start to find out things maybe that happen throughout the day or in school or, or you can even talk about real-life situations through pretend play. Um, I love art as well. I think art is, is a, a, an amazing way to have kids express. It's also an amazing way to regulate emotions um, through, through art itself. And, and again, there's, all, of course, different forms of art that they can use.
1: Um, we were making Valentine's cards at the weekend and my six-year-old told me she was making, wait for it, a Valentine's card for her husband, who is called Bubble Car and lives in Japan. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. The no, imagination no. running wild. Um, she's your anyone who wants to find out anything else about your upcoming workshops, of course, your one-on-one, what's the best place to contact you or get in touch? Sure, that's my Instagram, which is at Coach if you want to send me the word kids I will send you the link for that thank you so much for your time thank you so much you made me excited to go home and (laughs) play play. maybe not make too much mess, but definitely have a play taking you to Ras al-Khaimah now and who better to be our guide than Dr Natasha Ridge, the founding executive director of the Sheikh Shoud Saqr al Qasimi Foundation for Policy Research. She's got decades of experience, has been in the region for almost 20 years and has written more than 30 publications. We are talking about the Academy Foundation and the impact it has on the people of Ras al and ultimately talking Ras al art today. I've got a confession to make, Natasha. What's that Hell? Rack is probably my favorite ever. I love it, <laughs> I love it. And I feel like the perception of Rack has really changed. And I think the pandemic was a big, a big part of that. When people couldn't travel mm. outside of the UAE or were reluctant to. We started to discover and rediscover what was closer to home. And I think yes. Rack became just a real shining star over the last few years. So how did you come to, uh, to be part of the, of the, the fabric of Ras al Well,
4: many, many years ago, I wanted to work in the Middle East. Um, unfortunately, my, my career path took many twists and turns, but ultimately I came as a teacher Um, back in the day where um, there was only really one international school and it was a very small town in in 2001. So yeah I began my first career and my first step into the UAE, into Ras al-Khaimah. We had one hotel, uh, no shopping malls, we drove to Ajman to do our (laughs) groceries. So yeah it's a very different life but it was amazing from the beginning.
1: And the landscape now has changed, you know, metaphorically and, and you know, and yes. realistically about what's happening in Rasarkema and you know, the tourist boom we're seeing, how mm. it's on the map as being not just an adventurous part of the UAE, but also a really rich part of the culture as well. And, you know, Rasarkema art, such an integral part of that. What's the origin story of Rasarkema art?
4: Well, much like I guess the origin story of many of many things in Russell Camera is that we started as something small and community-based. We really wanted to do something for local artists, not just Emiratis, but also people living in Iraq who were um, photographers or, or filmmakers. And so we thought, oh, we'll just have this like two-day little festival at the museum. We thought it'd be nice to mix it old and new. And um, from then, uh, like twelve years later, we're now um, we have. You know, we went from maybe a couple of hundred visitors and, and sort of 20 artworks to over 100 artworks and 20,000 visitors. Wow. And, and just a huge transformation. But. Still very emphasis
1: on community. Tell us about the logistics, and we are going to get into the programme, but the where and the whens of the 2024 edition, Natasha. So it's located at the
4: Al-Jazeera Al Jazeera Al-Hamra Heritage Village, which is a newly restored, also um, under the purview of the al Pasumi Foundation. We're, we're part of the activation of that. Amazing um, pearling village on the outskirts of Khaimah, near, near to the Al-Hamra community. And it's taking place all of this month, from the 2nd to the 29th but particularly the weekends are very active. Uh, We've just had pet-friendly weekend, but the festival is pet-friendly all month round, as is the site. And next weekend we have a weekend for family and kids, lots of fun activities. And then following weekend we have an emphasis on culture and heritage.
1: There's also been some food Because I spoke to some incredible restaurateurs on Farmer's Kitchen a couple of weeks ago. And actually, this brings in a bit of an Aussie connection as well. It was Australian, Emirati and some Italian fusion as well. That's right. That's right. It was amazing. I was in a small village of
4: Kakor, which you would have heard about from Kelly and Paolo. And I said, oh, this food's amazing. Have you guys ever considered... Um, doing a pop-up.
1: So you brought them over. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh! And they were like, Russell, what? Where?
4: Well, fortunately, they met in Abu Dhabi, and you would have <laughs> heard the romance story. So I, I didn't sound like a complete widow, and and the <laughs> and the proposition didn't sound completely bizarre. But we've been very blessed to have them over for a second round, and it's just been incredible. I mean, they bring just this amazing uh, sort of very local, organic, very Khema I would say, mm. using produce from His Highness's farm, combined with um, organic meats and fish, and just an incredible offering. And we also have another chef coming over to join us. His Highness is very ex- excited about food this year. Uh, so, and that's uh, Jefferson Finger from, um, uh, from Brazil. So he'll be featuring this amazing... Tr- sorry, I always pronounce this
1: wrong. I never, I, I know it's delicious, <laughs> yes. but I never know how to say yes. it.
4: Lots of meat, um, <laughs> amazingly <laughs> cooked. He's he's just an incredible chef. He's the face of Brazilian beef as well. So he'll be doing a limited offering a menu in the last weekend of the festival. And if people want to know more; they can look on Rack Art because there will be tickets open to the public for that too.
1: We have got in our studio here the ARN Business Club, Dr. Natasha Ridge, the founding executive director. Um, we're talking about Rassalke Art. Can we talk about art? And I've, yes. I, I'm going to be completely honest. It's something I find it very difficult to talk about, because I either sound completely clueless or you sound really pretentious. And I think what's really important about this festival is making it accessible. Yes, yes. So how have you chosen which artists to work with? And is there something of a theme this year? Well, we always have a theme this year. It's in motion. We
4: we wanted to really reflect on coming out of the pandemic. You know, what did this mean? Everyone was back in motion, traveling, flying, you know, thinking about COP28, thinking about (laughs) carbon footprint, all of these things. And so we asked the artists to give us their take on in motion. Now, in terms of selection, I'm much like yourself, um, I'm not... Uh... I know what I like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm the same. Thankfully, I'm not the one deciding what, uh, who we take or what we do. We have a wonderful curator from um, from Switzerland, a Swiss-Italian, Alfio Tomasini, and he curates it along with a jury of selected. And, yeah, we really leave it up to the professionals to decide um, what art is taken in, what art we exhibit, how is it exhibited, because some is on aluminium dye bond, like huge um, panels, some of it is on mesh, some of it is on fabric, some are sculptures and
1: it's an incredible array of art sounds like a bit of an instagram opportunity as well it's very instagram but we have
4: assured that
1: (laughs) right if you'd like information get in touch you can send me rack to 4001 up next we're having a bit of a deep dive into the program yes logistics we're taking you through the space plus how to book everything you need to know it's running through until the end of the month Dr. Natasha Ridge with us today as we talk about Ras Al-Khaimah Art. It is on now, running through until the 29th, it's a leap year, the 29th of February, Mm. Um, and we've been talking a little bit about art there, but what about the music side? Um, Are we having performers as well? Yes, we are. We have live performers
4: every Saturday night. We just had Mahogany Jones, um, sponsored by the US mission to the UAE, an amazing sort of Soul, rap, rhythm and blues, all combined into one. Incredible. And then we've got some other ones coming up, some pianos, some local bands. Um, we've had Indian, Sufi music. So we try to do a real range of uh, performances. You never know what you're going to discover.
0: Is it all outdoors, Natasha?
4: It's all outdoors, yes. We have an open-air um, cinema screen as well. So you can come, sit on a bean bag uh, bring a jacket and a scarf, I recommend. <laughs> it's
1: a <laughs> yeah. little chilly. I'm cold here. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Is it, and, and when we think about the, the access as well, how are you... How are you managing that? And you mentioned before, you know, 20,000 visitors across the whole festival. What's that been like in terms of the logistical side? Well, thankfully, it's an enormous
4: site. So we have multiple parking areas. It's also free entry. I just want to emphasize for anybody thinking of coming that you don't have to pay anything. Everything is free when you get there. You can enjoy, you know, the films or the... The performances all for free, yeah. And then there's lots of parking, lots of bathrooms,
1: very important also. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm I'm I don't say this lightly. Parking and bathrooms are a major obstacle yes. to to many people actually leaving their homes. Yes. So thank we you for the reassurances. You, 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 you can bring your pets. You can bring your kids. Can you I bring have my toilets. in-laws? You can also bring your in-laws. I might stick them on the shuttle to <laughs> Ras Al for the weekend. Um, speaking of which, where are we staying if we're going to make a weekend of it? Um, where are some of your favourite hotels in the Emirate of Ras Al oh, Hard to say without offending
4: those who I don't say, but. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to speak confidentially.
1: <laughs> um,
4: We're talking in the Intercon, Intercontinental on uh, Mina, in Mina Al Arab. Uh, the newly opened Anantara. I want to give it a big shout out to fabulous. that. Fabulous! It's spectacular. The team are wonderful. The food is amazing. Um, If you can splash out for an overwater villa, I highly
1: recommend. It's it's like Maldives in the UAE. Yes, it is, except more of the mangrove view, but a beautiful. And easier to get to considerably. Yes,
4: much is, much more, yes, much closer. And then we have the Pick if you're looking for a more family stay. And um, out there as well, of course, the newly renovated Waldorf Astoria, which is spectacular.
1: Now, this is a big shout. And again, I don't want to offend any chefs out there. I think that's got one of, Lexington Grill is one of my favourite restaurants. For steak, the food has always been amazing. So I know it's renovated. I need to go back and check if the food yes. is still as I've good.
4: heard it's still amazing. I've heard it's even better. That's what people are telling me. So that's
1: word on the Ras Al Khayma streets. Um, I wanted to ask you about the legacy of Ras Al art. You know, they said over the last 12 years, you know, it's grown so much, it's attracting talent, but it's also from all over the world and tourists and visitors from all over the world, but also a real celebration of the Emirates. What is the hope for it Natasha what what do you, when we you look back and think oh gosh I'm, we really we really nailed it there I think for me it's really about bringing community together what I love about it
4: is as we talked before it's about democratization of art and we're really trying to just to bring people from all different walks of lives and so what I really like to look back on is that somebody who would never been to a gallery or never wanted to look at art suddenly goes you know what actually I might visit an art gallery actually maybe art is for me or maybe theater is for me we've also got some amazing improv performances this uh, I didn't mention coming up maybe you're interested in theater or art or music but but the, somehow we opened up
1: people's hearts and minds to the artistic
4: world and creative world.
1: And a lot of that starts young as well. So super family friendly. You mentioned this weekend is kind of big emphasis on that. Anything you'd like to highlight in particular? Oh, we've got
4: um, painting lessons with your children. And and just all, there's too many things. I think there's some pottery. There's little... Tour guiding, there's some kind of, I think, advent, uh, like an amazing race style event where they can go on treasure hunts. So, all kinds of things. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it justice, but it is amazing. It's all on our website on rackart.ae.
1: We've just had a couple of matches going how to book. So, I guess that's my last question. To no you. need. No need to book no at No need to book.
4: For the workshops only, you can go online and book them through our website. But you can also just turn up on the day and go to our information booth and they will help you um, make a reservation too.
1: If you want details, you can just send me rack. but it's super easy. It's rackart.ae. Have you managed yeah. to switch off at all during the month of February so far? Not yet, but yeah. <laughs> my mum's arriving, so I will do oh, soon. We'll <laughs> have an absolutely amazing time. Thank you. We'll come it's to your pleasure. office next time in Russell Thank you so much for having it's me. It's an absolute pleasure. Dr Natasha Ridge speaking to us here.